When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine, the podcast where we run through an author's working day to try and steal some of the secrets of their success. Uh, this week we're chatting to Mary Adkins, who is an author and writing coach. She is the founder of the Book Incubator. It's a year-long program to help you write, revise and then pitch your novel. Uh, she's also written many books. The newest is the critically acclaimed Palm Beach. Now, we talk about why she sets up her writing space to make her believe she's playing. Also, how she uses music to take her to a different place and space and time. And you can hear why she thought she had the skills to help others write. I mean, I think it was right after my first novel had come out that it occurred to me that I could pair these things, pair what I had what I had figured out for myself with what I had learned about education to work with writers to help them help them get their books done. So that was it. I mean, that was basically it. I had had the kind of the spark one day of an idea and I thought, let me, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to see how this goes. It's all on the way with Mary Adkins in a brand new writer's routine. Yes. Welcome to the show. This is Writer's Routine, where we look through an author's working day to see how they plan, how they structure, and how they plot their ideas to get a book down in whatever way they can, in however long they've got, whatever space they use to get that published. Uh, my name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for being there. This week, we're chatting to Mary Adkins, who is an author and writing coach. She's published the novels Palm Beach, Privilege, and when you read this, which have all been critically acclaimed and labelled books of the year by various magazines and papers. Uh, also, off the back of that, she's a writing coach. Her book incubator programme looks to lead you through the difficult journey to publishing, helping you write, revise and then pitch a novel. Uh, to do that, she, she figures out what kind of a person you are, uh, how when you have energy, how creative you are what motivates you, what makes you tick, how outgoing you are. And she uses all that to refine the best way for you to work. Because we don't all get creative at the same parts of the day. We've got a lot of different things happening, taking the kids to school, going to your day job. So she uses that to figure out the best times and the best method for you to get your novel down. Now, uh, we've done uh, 
220 odd episodes of this and this is the first writing coach I've had on the show it won't surprise you to hear I've had like quite a few pitched to me and I've always been a bit wary of I don't know it being too pluggy or there not really being a purpose to it the 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 idea of this show is is fairly structured and it's fairly simple we talk to writers about how they write I didn't know if speaking to a mentor or a coach would be that useful but I thought I'd give it a go because Mary is a published novelist so maybe it's worth hearing how that side of things has helped her coach other writers and why she made that decision and I think along the way there are some very good tips and tricks and tidbits that will just help you refine the way that you think about writing and how you plan your day. We talk about how she discovered that she's a morning person, why she sets up her writing space to work and not play, and why a lot of people tend to struggle switching between writing and editing. So there's a lot in this. I hope you get something out of it with Mary Adkins. And we start off, as always, talking about the place around her and what she sees when she sits down to write. So I currently write on my back porch on uh, like a, you know, like an outdoor chair. And so I am looking at the wall of my garage. That's interesting. So... uh... What have you got around you? Because being outdoors, I mean, it can't be the most practical of places. Is it just you and a laptop? Have you got other things around you that help you write? No, it's just me and a laptop. And I, I've actually, uh, I, you know, in thinking about this, I was, I was listening to uh, an earlier episode of your podcast a little while ago, and I was thinking about over the years when I've written my novels, where I how my writing spot has changed, and I realized that it's never been at a desk. I've I've not written I've not written a single novel at a desk. I think desks intimidate me. I, I think it feels like too serious or something. It feels like school, and so I've always written on a couch or even in bed. Um, like sitting, you know, not under the covers, but like sitting on my bed with, uh, with like my, um, materials or my like storyboard where I'll, I'll put post-its on a poster board, just kind of splayed out over me on the comforter. Um, but I've always, I, I think writing in a place that doesn't feel as serious as a desk for me is liberating. So at the moment, because, because then I can, I just kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I'm playing. I'm like, you know, I'm not doing anything that's too serious. And that helps me. I think it unlocks my creativity a little bit. So at the moment for me, that's outside. But when you are outside, uh, you were saying when you're on your bed and what you lay things over your duvet, you, uh, how, how do you do that outside? So have you got like a, a, any form to kind of keep track of where you are? Anything that lets you know what's going on? Uh, yeah, I just, it's all on my laptop. So I, w- I really won't have anything except maybe a notebook next to me because right now I'm, um, right now I'm, I'm working on my first memoir. So I'm, I'm shifting gears to nonfiction. And so at the moment it's kind of everything I need is just sort of in my memory and in my head um, or in documents that I just have, you know, open uh, open on my laptop or in my notebook. I kind of go back and forth between handwriting and typing, but I just all, have it all sitting right there in the in the chair with me. Some writers I've spoken to like, I guess, creativity perhaps around them or maybe 
like a token or, or, or a totem, something on their desk that lets them know they've done this before. Um, if you're, you're just staring at a wall. What is there that's creative there that kind of helps you tap into what you're working on? Yeah, it's really interesting. When I've I've read about those, I've known those writers too before. Like the people, like the you know the talisman, or they have a candle, or they have a ritual that they that they do. And um, I think that's always uh, it's sort of like the desk for me. That seemed almost that counterproductive because it it feels too precious or something to me, and it feels um, uh, like it 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 makes me feel too much pressure to think like I'm now going to bring this rock over and it's going to like that, that to me feels like more pressure than just thinking, Oh, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of tinkering. I'm toying around. I'm writing down some ideas. I mean, I think that the, that for me, the thing that triggers the creativity is what I've learned is time of day and, and my ritual is that I always write at the same time of day. So it's like my, my body and mind know, okay, we, we woke up and the first thing we do is, is we, we write. So I, I do it first thing in the morning. I'm one of the people who does it first thing in the morning because that's when I'm the freshest is coming off a night of sleep. And when I find I can, um, I can drop into my writing mode the most quickly, so, yeah, so I just, I make myself a cup of coffee and I get going. That's what I do. Like today I've already done it. <laughs> uh, so, so take us into the, if all you're working with is your computer, kind of run me around that. Like what software are you using? Have you got folders where, filled with different ideas and character notes and run me through that. And also what font do you use, Mary? Yeah. Okay. So when I'm, when I'm writing a novel, I handwrite. So I'm, I'm writing in notebooks and, um, I don't, I don't even, I don't use the computer at all until I'm, until I'm transcribing my first entire draft. Um, if once I am transcribing that draft, I will transcribe it into Scrivener. Um, are you familiar with Scrivener? Yeah, big fan. Yes. Great. Okay, me too. I love Scrivener. And so I, I I will transcribe it into Scrivener. And I love Scrivener because it's so easy to keep everything organized. So I can have, you know, I I, I, I don't use its most sophisticated features. I just use the most basic features. But even those are really helpful. So I'll have each scene is in its own, you know, its own little file. And then, um, and then I can also put random scenes that I don't know where to place in their own folder. And then I have a folder for research and I have a folder for, um, just kind of, um, Oh, scraps. That was my other folder. So my last folder is always, so uh, scraps, I don't throw anything away because, um, you know, I think I've learned the hard way. So like, if I actually delete something, then I'll inevitably wish I had it and think it was brilliant. And so I don't actually ever delete anything. I just dump it. If, if I cut it, I dump it into my scraps folder in Scrivener. Um, so yeah, so it's either in notebooks, um, where I keep, I, I keep my draft, uh, organized there, my first draft. And then when I'm moving into revision mode, I move it over to Scrivener and primarily work there. I guess, why are you writing longhand in 2022 when there's so many different forms of software available to you? Why are you doing this quite laborious and, and time-consuming way of writing an, a first and then second draft? Yeah, that's a really good question. I found, so I wrote my first novel when you read this, just like everybody else on a laptop. And, um, and that worked really well for me for that. And I, Times New Roman is my font. 
I love <laughs> Times New Roman 12 point uh, is, is just what I, what I like and what makes me feel comfortable because it's what's familiar. Um, and I've, so then I, my, my second novel, um, sold on proposal to my editor for my first novel, the, the night that my son was born. So I was like, I was actually in my hospital bed when I got the email from my agent that the novel had sold. So it was, it was a really exciting 24 hours, but it also um, meant that now I had to actually write this novel with a newborn at home. And I didn't, uh, for, for the first time I experienced what I had heard other writers talk about, which is like staring at a blank screen and just feeling uh, completely paralyzed by it. So I, I decided to experiment with handwriting because I, I couldn't, I mean, I don't know if it was the lack of sleep with a newborn at home or um, the hormones, whatever it was, I just couldn't bring myself to write on the computer. And so I thought, well, let me just, let me just try. I need to do something. So let me try writing by hand. And it worked. It, it really, it just, it was the one way I was able to write that novel was by hand. It just, again, it, it kind of goes back to that, what I was saying a moment ago. I think this is a recurring theme in my writing life of um, trying to find ways to make it feel less serious and less, like less pressure. And so writing by hand just felt like, oh, I'm, I'm, um, almost like I'm just journaling or something. It just didn't feel as final as seeing a, seeing, seeing typed words on a screen. So I wrote the entire uh, book that way. And, um, and it just worked so well that I stuck with it. So I, I mean, it was like, this is great. I, I love, I love handwriting. I felt, I felt like, um, it, it, my writing was different when I wrote by hand. Um, and in a, in a way that I liked, um, it kind of slowed me down, like, because my hand couldn't move as quickly as my brain, which sounds like it would be a bad thing, but I actually found it to be a good thing because it kind of forced me to choose my words more carefully to really be in the scene, um, at a slower pace, which I think was good for, for developing the, to developing for developing the scenes. Do you think you could go back now if I were to force you to sit and write your first draft in front of a lap on a laptop? How would you find that? Um, I think it would. I think I would just have to get back into it. You know, like I think it would just be overcoming, um, kind of overcoming those those demons of thinking, oh gosh, this feels, this feels awkward. The, the, the word looks too final. This is just a first draft. I want to, I want to go back and I mean, it's so easy when I'm typing to delete and rework it. And, and I, I'm a big believer now in, in just sort of, um, at least for myself in, in charging ahead and really relying on momentum for that first draft and just experiencing the story and getting it down on paper without going back and revising along the way. So, um, so I think I would just have to really get back into the practice of doing that, of, of typing without editing as I go. That's really my big challenge. So the transcription process of writing, of, of moving it from the notebooks to the computer, um, is the worst part that, (laughs) that part is, it's really terrible. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's unpleasant because it's, um, you know, it's like tedious one. Um, but it's also kind of seeing, I, I, I do it right after I've 
finish the handwritten draft. And so I'm really, really close to the story. Like I'm still in it. And I find when I'm still in it, I tend to, if I go back and read it, I tend to be extremely judgmental of it, like unfairly judgmental of it. And so I, I will, it'll, it's, it's painful. It's a bit painful to read because um, I just see all kinds of things I want to change, but I, I resist that for the most part, I'll do a really light revision as I'm transcribing. And by that, I mean, like, um, truly just cleaning up the sentences, you know, clarifying things, that sort of thing, maybe filling in a few gaps, but as I'm transcribing, I'm not making major changes. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not reworking the draft because I, I know I've, I've learned from experience that it's not, I'm not in a good mindset to do that yet. I don't have, I don't have a healthy distance from it to be able to see it objectively and know whether it's good or not. So it's not a good time for me to start making big changes. It's sort of like not operating, having machinery on painkillers or something like it's, it's like that. And so, um, so I'll do a light, a really light revision of just cleaning it up. And then once it's all typewritten, um, that's when I, I set it aside. So for me, I found the essential kind of the, the sweet spot is somewhere between three and five weeks of setting it aside before I come back to it and can, can see it with fresh eyes can like, you know, of course I remember what happens. Of course I remember writing a lot of it, but that three to five weeks seems to be the right amount of time um, for me so, so that I can come back and, and see it with at least some degree of objectivity. Um, because, and, and for me, objectivity means I, ha when, it, what I mean by that is when I read it, I have some clarity around what needs to change. So I don't, I don't sit there and wonder, like, I have no idea whether this is good or not, or I don't know what to do to fix it. And, and I don't, I don't sit there and think all of it's terrible or that all of it is brilliant. Like I can come back to it and see some things that are working and some things that aren't. And I, I can find some clarity around what the next step should be to make it better. You've started to run through your writing routine earlier on. So just carry on with it if you can. So the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are writing, how does that whole thing look, Mary? So I'll write in the morning. So write in the morning, first thing. And um, often that's, I mean, I have, I have a son who's four years old. So um, often my, my morning writing routine will have a couple of um, interruptions in that I'll need to get him ready for school and get him breakfast and get him off to school. But, um, I will, I will write, uh, earlier in the morning, like either, you know, before he wakes up or as he's watching kind of cartoons early on, and then I will, uh, get him off to school and then I will write more, um, for probably, um, I, I try to write if I'm, if I'm really actively working on a project, I'll write for three or four hours a day. I don't, I don't write every day if I'm not working on a project. If I'm not working on a project, I, I really won't write at all. I'm like a kind of all or nothing. It's either like I'm actively in this or I'm, or I'm just not writing and I'll do other things. But if I'm actively in it, I'll write in the mornings for three to four hours. And then, and then the rest of the day, I don't, uh, the rest of the day I will do other work. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a writing coach and so I have, classes that I teach and writers who I work with. So I'll do that in the like midday or afternoon, or if I have research to do on my book, I'll do the research in the afternoon because, 
um, I, I, I try to separate that out. I try to separate the research from the, from the generative creative work, because for me, they, they feel like really different, they're different mindsets, you know, um, research is, is more analytical and con- consuming. I'm like consuming content and gathering it and assembling it. And, um, and my creative generative work, I find I'm, my, my, I'm in a better mental space for that in the early morning hours. Now, how have you kind of, how have you discovered that that's the way your energy flows through this time when you started, right? Have you always been aware that you're a morning person, for instance, creatively speaking? No, no, no. All trial and error. (laughs) I used to try really, I mean, especially, um, when I was, when I was younger, I mean, for years I was just like many of us, I, I, I was not a paid writer. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't making money off of my writing. I was working on my novel around my, uh, around my jobs. I had multiple jobs. And so I would just write wherever I could. And often that was in the evenings. And, um, it was hard. It was a struggle. It was always like a, a slog. It was like, you know, dragging a suitcase uphill or something. I mean, it was, it just felt hard. Whereas when I wrote in the mornings, whether it was like sneaking, you know, sneaking in some writing time at the office or getting up early to write it, it was so much easier. It was like, I was a different person. So I, it really was just through trial and error that I figured that out. And, um, for a while that meant when I still had, when I still had a day job and, um, and some other jobs I would kind of work in around my schedule, uh, I would have to try to carve that out where I could. Now, now these days, um, I'm I'm fortunately in a in a place where I can make my own schedule. So now I now I know you know I I I'm able to write in the mornings. Fortunately, and I can I can carve that out for myself. But it, yeah, it was through trial and error that I learned that. On days when the words aren't really coming, you mentioned staring at the blank page earlier today. What have you learned throughout writing that helps you? carry on maybe like a spot of music at a certain time and a cup of coffee how does that work yeah I'll often go on a walk um or just move like change locations um, move my body like some kind of physical change in myself or my surroundings can sometimes help um lately I go on a lot of walks another thing that I've found that I'll, I'll also sometimes tell writers I work with is that like and it took me a long time to realize this too but sometimes if the words aren't coming, I, I think we often think like it's us, like, oh, I have writer's block. It's me. Like we get in our head about it. Like, do I not, is this idea not good? Have I hit a dead end? Should I do something else? Should I try to write something else? But often what I find for myself is that it just means something new needs to happen in the in the work, <laughs> like in the story itself. Some It's time for something new. It's time for something fresh. And I mean, if that's fiction... If you're writing fiction, which which is what I usually write, um, it's great because it's like an invitation to really spice things up. So what I'll do is set my set my draft actual draft aside, and I'm in my notebook, so I'm going to open a new page because um, I'm doing this by hand. But you know, if it were a computer, someone could just use their laptop and do this. But I, I just brainstorm like, what are all the possible things that could happen right now in my story? And I try not to judge how outlandish some of the ideas are. Like I, I really try to just um, write down any, anything that comes to mind. And some of them are going to be terrible, like aliens landing in a, <laughs> in a story that's like not that kind of story. But then 
inevitably I, I find I'll reach an idea that both um, excites me and makes me a little nervous. It's like, oh, I don't like the energy of it will make me think, oh, that's that's a little scary for me to write, but it sounds it sounds cool. Like it opens up a lot of possibility in the story. And that's a good, that's a good feeling. So when I get that feeling, I know that's, that's probably an idea that I want to follow. Um, and so I'll go back to my draft and I'll bring that in and then suddenly I'm writing again. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it can be something like going on a walk or even in my case with music, what I, what I'll usually go with is like finding a song that, either takes me back to the time period that the, the story is set in. I mean, I write all contemporary fiction. So these are all stories that have happened in the, in the years that I've been alive. So I will find a song from that period to listen to, to kind of, to kind of take me back, or I'll find a song that one of my characters might be listening to. Um, and, and that, that can, that could be helpful. But if it's not something like finding music or going on a walk, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do a brainstorm of what could actually happen in my story right now to spice things up. And, and I find that helpful too. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're back with more from Mary Adkins in just a sec. Uh, Very quickly, just pointing you towards our Patreon page. If you're enjoying the show, if you like what we do, if you like the different authors that we speak to and some of the tips that can help you write, well, you can help us out for bringing this to you. To help us continue bringing you episodes as often as we can with the best authors around, all you need to do, support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It doesn't take a lot, just a few dollars every month helps us keep going, helps us keep ticking over. It's only me. It's a one man operation. I do all the admin, which is fairly terrible. I do all the social media, which could be a little bit better. (laughs) I, I sort out Uh, all the interviews, I do the research, I do the editing, it's all me, there's no one else, 
Um, and it's just like a few dollars a month from you can really help this keep going. Helps us keep bringing you these chats. And for that, you don't just get the podcast, you get our eternal thanks. There is a chance for you to get merch. There is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And it just helps us keep going. Uh, to do that, to become a backer, to show your support, you can pledge and it really means a lot. Whatever you can spare goes a tremendously long way, I assure you of that, over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Mary Adkins, author and writing coach. She's published the novels Palm Beach, When You Read This and Privilege, uh, all have been critically acclaimed and labelled Books of the Years by various magazines and papers. She's also a writing coach, uh, and her book, Incubator Programme, takes you through a year, hoping to lead you through that difficult journey to publishing. Now, on this half, we talk about that bit, the coaching side of things, what common problems writers face and how she helps them try to fix them and the tricks that she uses to motivate you along the way. You can also hear about the best way to try and sell your book rights. I've had a lot of emails about that recently. Uh, You've been working on something. It's about to be published. How do you get it out there to Amazon, to Prime, to Now TV, to Netflix, to the myriad streaming services with a constant churn of content? Surely, surely they've got a space for your work. Mary tries to figure out the answer to help you out with that. So that's on the way. And uh, we pick things up talking about why people find switching between writing and editing so tricky and what she tries to do about that. It took me uh, six years to write my first novel and, and not because I was writing slowly. It was because I kept rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it. And I was trying to rewrite it based on what I was Um, learning and writing classes. And by the time I had finally written a draft that I was, I was really happy with and that, that got me a literary agent and that sold, I felt like I had learned a lot about what did not work for writing a novel, what process, what processes were not actually that helpful, what kind of exercises didn't really move me forward and the ones that did. And so that was part of it. And then another part of it was that my my job during all those years, when I referenced my day job a second ago, had been teaching. I, I was um, I was a teacher and tutor, and for a small education company. And then I became um, a curriculum designer for them. So I had I had sort of um, uh, it, it wasn't my primary focus. My primary focus was writing around my job, but that was my job. And and I had I had kind of acquired this um, pedagogical background and, and this pedagogical knowledge around how, how people actually learn and how we, we reach our goals and how we, um, how we, how we can create processes that allow us to reach these goals of, of sitting down and, and achieving what we want to achieve. And so it just, I mean, I think it was right after my first novel had come out that it occurred to me that I could pair these things, pair what I had, what I had figured out for myself with what I had learned about education to work with writers to help them, help them get their books done. So that was it. I mean, that was basically it. I had the kind of the spark one day of an idea and I thought, let me, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to see how this goes. And, um, that was, let's see, three years ago, a little over three years ago that I first thought of that. And I've, I've 
been doing it ever since. And I, I love it. It's been, it's been awesome. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I mean, other than writing, it's, it's probably my favorite thing to do is working with other writers. What have you found that most writers sh- struggle with when they are trying to get things down? I think the most common thing that I see is, is the same thing I had struggled with, which was not understanding that writing mode and editing mode are two different modes. And uh, when we mix them up, uh, we can get stumped. Like the editor, the, the editor is, is analytical and is, is, can be quite critical and, um, is really smart, (laughs) but is, is also really can be pretty tedious and can be con- like really focused on small things like sentence structure and word choice and um, and very particular details. Whereas the writer in writing mode, I think the way I define writing mode is being being open to experiencing the overall story and just getting that general story down on paper and not being so obsessed with the details of, of the execution yet. And I think, I mean, for so long, I, I didn't understand that those were different modes. I was trying, I was basically like, uh, moving between the two of them in every, like every other second. I mean, I was, I was trying to fuse them. And so I would, it's like, I would write a sentence and then, and then, edit that sentence for the next 30 minutes and then write another sentence and then edit that sentence for the next 10 minutes. And so it, not only was it difficult to make progress, it was impossible to actually experience the story because my editor was constantly coming in and trying to, trying to fix how I was executing the story, but I didn't even know what the story was yet. So I see this, I see this happening with writers a lot. I think it's a really common trap for us to fall into. And it's really understandable because we don't, unless someone kind of lays this out for us, I think it's, it's very natural to think, okay, well, I need, I wrote a sentence and I I should now make it better. You know, like it's a, it's a very normal kind of, um, chain of logic. And, and so what I'll try to do with people is, is get them to where they can really trust their future self to edit their work and, and really just lean into writing the first draft based on experiencing a story and trying to get in the flow. And once they get that momentum, just to continue until they have a first draft without stopping to, to edit yet, because their future self is going to be a better editor. The future self knows what the story is. The future self can like, you know, has some understanding of, of what, what's on the page and whether it's working or not, like, and that, that future writer self is a better editor. So that's what I, that's what I find really helps understanding that, um, I think can really unlock, can really unlock someone's progress so that they can, they can actually get that first draft out and have something on paper to work with. What are your best tips for starting? So, uh, I know a, a common, uh, roadblock that some, aspiring authors might have is they think they've got a a very good idea but they they stop themselves before they get that first sentence even done because they they don't know how much they have to flesh out beforehand what do you advise people who are struggling with that yeah I I always suggest starting with a big question so some big question that is at the heart of whatever it is you want to write whether it's 
an essay or a novel or a short story or a memoir, it, there's some big question at the heart of it. And I think when we articulate what that question is, it gives us somewhere to go because, and I love it as a question. And so this is different than a theme, like a theme statement or a thesis statement, because those to me have always felt kind of closed off. I mean, it's kind of like, this is what my book is about. It doesn't, it doesn't open up possibility. It just kind of announces, announces the, the subject of something. But when it, I think when we anchor a story in a question, I mean, the, just the mere fact that it ends in a question mark opens up all kinds of possible areas of exploration and, and possible paths that we could go down. Um, so for example, when I was writing my first novel, I mean, like I said, I, I rewrote it and rewrote it. So it took me a while to get here, but when I finally kind of unlocked it for myself, the question at the heart of it was, uh, how do we make meaning out of an unlived life? Like if, if we have no more time left and we look back and that was all the time we had, like, how do we find the meaning in that when we didn't do what we what we hoped we would do. And, and that's the dilemma that the character in the novel is facing. And so, and, and that was a really pressing question for me personally. I, it was a question that, that I, I felt tormented by in my own life. And so I, I was interested in it as the writer and that really, when I didn't know what to write next on the page, if I kept coming back to that question, it always, it always helped me navigate back to, um, to coming up with something, some way to explore it. So I think what, so, so when I, when I'm working with a writer, that's the first thing we'll do is try to figure out what their big question is that they're really, that, that, that they want to spend. I mean, if in my case, I work with people on full length books. So it's like, what, what do you want to spend the next, you know, four months of your life on this draft writing about what, what is the big question you want to spend 70,000 words exploring. And I think that can, that, that is essentially what I think is important to have to start. Now, of course we want to kind of know like if it's fiction, just some basic details around what, okay, what's the premise that we're going to use to explore that, that question, who, who is going to be our main character. But I, I never found it that useful. I mean, back when I would take writing classes, it's like, um, I would be invited to or, or instructed or assigned to uh, to make these like really elaborate character biographies or you know like write a hundred sentences about this character, and I just never I, I found I never used a lot of that stuff. It wasn't it wasn't necessary. I didn't need to know where my character went to high school or what their favorite color was. It was just sort of fluff. I don't know. I I f have found it much more useful to to know the basics of who a character is. Um, and by that, I truly just mean kind of like, where do they live? How, how old are they? And what do they care about? But other than that, like discover who they are by, by writing the story itself and letting them kind of letting them reveal themselves to me. Another thing that many people struggle with, and it's a point that always comes up when I, when I chat to authors and it's a place where they fell down is the, the kind of the 30,000 word mark. So the really baggy middle, uh, how, how do you get people through that and kind of pull them through to the other side? I love hearing it described as a baggy middle. I've heard it described as a saggy middle, but I really like baggy middle. Yeah. I don't like the word sag. Uh, it's a disgusting word. <laughs> it, is, it is a disgusting word. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. I love this. So what I will, what, what I will do and what I will encourage others to try if it works for them is at that point to, uh, to storyboard. So I don't outline, I'm not a big outliner. I know it works for some people and that's awesome, but I've never, I've never been a big outliner. I'm more like the kind of coming up with that big question and and a premise that I want to pursue and then letting the story take me where it takes me. But around that 30,000 word mark, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I experienced this too. It's the baggy middle and, and it's, it's, uh, it becomes hard to do that for much longer. So what I will do then is storyboard. And for me, what that looks like is um, taking a piece of poster board. Again, just like with the notebooks, I, I like really like the tactical, tactile approach to it. Taking a piece of poster board and ju- at this point, I've, you know, 30,000 words and I've typically planted all the the seeds I'm going to plant. Like there are a lot of, there are a lot of balls in the air and now I just have to like figure out where they're all going to land. I've I've put all these things into motion and it's like, okay, well, what do we do with what we already have in the, in the story, the characters, the kind of the, the various inciting events. So I will take a a stack of post-its and just sort of plot out like, okay, what are, what are going to be the next 20 scenes that get me to the end of the book? Or maybe it's 30 scenes. Usually it's, it's somewhere between 20 and and 35 scenes um, that will get me to the end of the book. And so I'll just go ahead and jot them down and lay them out on a piece of poster board. And that becomes my roadmap for the rest of the draft. Like I'm just going to hop from, from scene to scene um, as if they're, like almost like they're lily pads until I get to the end. And, um, you know, and then of course I, I never end up sticking exactly to what my storyboard is at all. But, um, but it's, it's nice to have that physical representation of the rest of the book, because then I can, I can move them around. I can swap out new scenes, but I can, it's like being able to look at that and see just very quickly, just scan and see like, oh, this is what's coming up. I have a bird's eye view of the rest of the story is very comforting. And it makes it feel manageable because it, it really is just like, okay, each of those little pink squares is a scene, which for me is maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 1500 and 2000 words, typically on average. I mean, of course, all scenes are not the same length, but for me, that's kind of somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 words as a scene often for me. So I'll, I'll just know, okay, I just write, you know, I, and, I, and I actually cross them out as I go along. So it's like, you know, I, I get the satisfaction of doing the big slash and it's like, okay, I only have 15 more of these to go. I only have 14 more of these to go. Um, and it, it, can, it can be a cool way too of creating some momentum leading up to the end of the draft. So it's like you, you, you kind of feel yourself going downhill um, in a way that, that helps you keep going. Because I, I do think um, I'm a big fan of, um, of Stephen Pressfield, you know, The War of Art and, and his talk about resistance. And I do like that, that pushback we get when we're trying to create something new in the world. And I, I think resistance really, I, I, I have, he talks about this, but I, I, I also experience that it really, it resistance builds the closer I get to, to reaching my goal. So I know that resistance is going to be building as I get to the end of the draft. And, and this storyboard, the storyboard method of seeing what's coming up and, and being able to cross them off is a, is a way of countering that. So it's, it's actually creating momentum leading up to the draft and can feel more like going downhill than like, you know, climbing up that last, 
those last few steps to, to Mount Everest or whatever. Um, now, I don't know how much you can help with this one, but I, I get a few emails all about like selling rights. This might kind of be when, when, you're, when you're done with it, but may, maybe you can uh, shed some light on it. So uh, what, what, what's the process of someone selling rights now to a, a streaming service? Obviously, these places have a lot of churn of content, so maybe there's more opportunities than before. But how does that side of things go when you're finishing and you're thinking, okay, m- maybe where can this exist not just being a book? Oh, to a streaming service. So like as a, if it's a book that's going to be adapted into a mini series or a movie or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. How, how much can you tell us about the process? Yeah, I don't, I only know a little bit about this. I mean, I, I will like, I, I have been approached about, uh, about rights, whether they're, they're movie rights or, or, um, television rights for all of my novels. Um, and, in my experience, what, what I can say about it is that it, it is a separate process, typically. So you, um, for, for others I've known to, and as well as for myself, I, I've sold the, the rights to the book, so to publish the book and then to publish various versions of it, um, the, the digital version, the audio version, I've, I've sold those rights. And then subsequently, and in my case, it's always been months later, I will be contacted by someone or, or through my agent often, but sometimes directly, who is interested in in optioning um, the rights to produce my to adapt my book into in, into something for film or TV, and um, and that's usually how that's how it, it's come to me first is as an option, um, and the option agreement is typically like. But what they're asking for is for you to give them um, an exclusive right to to try to find like a team, um, a studio, uh, you know, may, maybe a maybe a writer, maybe a director, uh, maybe even an actor or a set of actors who will who will then pitch this to some kind of streaming service or network. And the option agreement will be for a set period of time. Maybe it's six months, twelve months, eighteen months. Um, Sometimes it will come with money. Sometimes it won't. I mean, sometimes it's like, listen, what we want to do this and, and we want to put something together so that we can make money on this with you and make you money. Um, but will you just give us an option agreement, which, which is going to incentivize us to work on it? Because we know you're not doing it with someone else. Um but as someone told me early on, like, don't, you know, I got the first time this happened to me, I was so excited. I thought, Oh, this is this is it. It's happening. My book is going to be a movie, and uh, and someone who had been down this road before said, "Well, I, I just wouldn't get too excited yet because there are a lot of um, a lot of these these deals fizzle out, and they don't um, they don't necessarily go anywhere. It's a long, slow process, and there are a lot of steps. So, and and I, I found that to be true. I mean, I think it's. Um, of course it happens for people. I mean, you see, like you said, there's so much content out there, and and you see stuff coming out every day, um, but. But in, you know, I, I think the, the from, from option agreement to actually getting um, a deal to it being being created and produced to it to it actually um, being aired on on Netflix or Hulu or, or on a network, um, there's a there's a lot that has to that has to happen. And, and, um, I've never made it that far, like far enough in that process to be able to speak to, uh, to what happens at that stage, but maybe one day I will, (laughs) hopefully. 
that is it for this week's episode of the show with Mary Adkins. Thank you so much to Mary for coming on the show. She's got three books out, Privilege, Palm Beach, and When You Read This. You can find out more about Mary's work online. Just give her a quick search. She is at maryadkinswriter.com, and you can learn all about the Book Incubator program whilst you are there. Uh, next week I'll see you again with a brand new author in the meantime you can get in touch with the show writersroutine.com use the contact page there you can give us a follow on twitter where you're at writerspod and I will see you next week thanks for listening bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.